Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I will be reading from Romans 3:19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says is speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the right righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifiers of the one who has faith in Jesus. Good morning and welcome to the great church. It is good to see everybody here today and uh, good to have several guests with us today. We're glad that you're here with us today. We want you to know you're welcome. You have come to one of God's favorite places, and within five or ten feet of you, wherever you are in the auditorium, you're sitting around some of God's favorite people. Isn't it wonderful to be with God's people and worshiping Him on the Lord's Day? Amen. I agree with you, okay? I agree. Uh, it's good to start a new series today, but um, it's going to be good news. But it's also going to be about maybe some things we don't like to hear so much about. The word sin. You know, you can say the word sin in different ways, and it conveys different attitudes, different mindsets that people in our world today have about sin. I could uh, just say sin, as if I'm just going to start talking about it, teaching about it. No real emotion involved, just instructive. Or perhaps if I say it this way, maybe if I say sin. See, that, that conveys a whole different kind of thing. And that's something maybe that American culture and Western culture, more broadly speaking, maybe really humanity and all the world kind of chafes under that finger-pointing thing. Think of it as Phariseeism, judgmentalism, or that sort of thing. Or what about if I said sin? That, that conveys, again, a, a different kind of feeling about sin. There's the publican Jesus talked about uh, when the publican and Pharisee went to pray in the temple and the, temp, the, Fer, the Pharisee went up real close to the altar and said, God, I think I'm not like this guy back here. Jesus said that guy back there was beating his breast. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus said he, that one, he went away justified, not the other. 
And so there's contrition. What about this one? Sin. See, doesn't that convey something else entirely different? The mindset of many folks in our world that think that they're living in a post-Christian age as if there could be any such thing that think somehow they've escaped the Bible, they've escaped God, they've escaped Jesus. They've escaped talking about sin and righteousness and, and duty and right and wrong. And that is so silly to talk about all this antiquated sin stuff from our ancestors when they were less evolved than we are today. Whatever your mindset about sin is, my brothers and sisters and friends, sin is something that is right smack dab in the middle of your life and in the middle of your world. And, and in fact, it's one of the most important things for you to think about, even if at times it is unpleasant. So over the course of this new series called Sinless, I'll explain what that means later, we're going to talk about sin and salvation and where Jesus is right in the middle of that. Maybe this is the most important series in this year so far of unfolding our pursuit of Christ that we can live our lives for Him. I want to just define sin. And I'm not going to support these things that I'm going to say here this morning with a whole lot of scriptural references today. But we will come back to these things later in the series. And so if you're not able to be with us in one of the weeks upcoming in this series, get on online, Facebook, YouTube, and, and keep caught up with this series. I'm going to be building on some things week after week. But first of all this, this is the definition, a couple of slides to give us the, the simplest understanding of what sin is. Sin is whatever is inconsistent with God's nature. Sin is everything, anything that is inconsistent with God's nature. That means it is, by definition, ungodliness. Sin is ungodly. It is unnatural. It is unrighteous, impure, immoral, unclean, disorderly, destructive, deceptive, unjust. Because God is righteous, He's pure, moral, clean, orderly, He's creative. He always tells the truth and He's just. So anything that is contrary to the nature of God, well that's sin. But that's not all we would say. Sin is whatever violates God's commandments. Sin is disobeying the commandments of God. So it is, again, by definition, disobedient. It is rebellious, the spirit of human rebellion against our Creator. It is, by virtue of that, disrespectful. It can be apathetic, meaning, I don't care. And so it can be just a dismissive mindset toward the Word of God. That sin sort of thing, that haughty, scoffing sort of approach to sin, yeah, that's sinful in and of itself. Because what God, what God is matters, what God thinks matters, what God says matters, and therefore what we do matters. Sin matters. It is extremely important for us to deal soberly with it. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 4, I put three different versions there in English for us to look at together just to make sure that we fully understand that the simplest thing the Bible says about what sin is. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That is, it is rejection of the law of God, of God's authority, of God's commandments. The, the contemporary English Bible says, every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. 
The God's Word translation says, those who live sinful lives are disobeying God. Sin is disobedience. All right? So whatever way that you might say the Word, in your mind, in your heart, in conversation with people, whatever ways you might hear the word sin spoken back to you, again, in all of the kinds of interactions that we have, uh, literal, virtual, social, individual, private, public, whatever, sin is real. It's disobedience to God. God cares about it whether we do or not. I want us to look at one of the most important passages about sin in the Bible. If you don't have Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 memorized, that's your homework. But we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 through 15. And we are going to pick up, Lord willing, with the rest of Isaiah 59 later in the series. But just for today, I want us to read. And I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I just want you to listen carefully. So if you've got your Bible and you can read along... Uh, and follow along as I read through this good. That would bless you. If not, just I urge you just to close your eyes or at least really focus your mind and listen to what this passage has to say. And this is old, old truth, old wisdom. This was written nearly 800 years before the birth of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says, the prophet Isaiah says about sin. Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1, reading from the New King James. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. In other words, God doesn't have any limitation of his ability to save us, to help us, to bless us, to protect us. There's nothing that can stop God from doing what he wants to do. Secondly, it's not that God can't hear. He's not like the false gods. He's the true God. He knows all. Why then is there a separation to whatever degree that there is. Why then is there a separation between God and between us, between humanity, between his creations? Verse 2, but your iniquities, another word for sin, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers, he says, with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Any of that hit home yet? Verse 4, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a, fi a viper breaks out. In other words, the way of the world is to deceive, it is to hatch plots, it is to pull people into their web, so to speak, and the end result is the corruption of more and more and more people. Verse 6, their webs will not become garments, no silk being spun from, from the thread of sin, nor will they cover themselves with their works. In other words, what they build based on sin will not be able to protect them the way that they think it will. Their works are the works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. 
Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Verse 9, therefore. Now as we read those first eight verses, maybe you don't personally identify with every one of those sins poetically described the way that it's described. But everything in the first nine verses of Isaiah 59 speaks to the reality of our world. It is, in fact, the world we live in of humanity. This is the picture that God looks down upon and sees taking place in his creation every day. And there's something in the list of those first nine verses that all of us are guilty about in some way. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. And so why is the world the way that it is today? Is it because God won't reach his arm down into our world and save us? Is it because he can't? That's the question of this chapter. The answer is no, that's not the answer. Is it because God doesn't see, doesn't hear? Is he not aware of everything that's going on? No, no, that's not the problem. Verse 9 begins to describe the sinful world. Now listen, therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey how about our world today how about America today where on earth are we going and how are we getting there the nation stumbling around in the dark bumping into the walls because this culture this rebellious human culture it's in sin suppresses the truth suppresses the light and therefore there's darkness it's not God's fault Beloved brothers and sisters, it's not God's fault. And the solution is always near us. It's in our hearts. It can be in our mouth. The word of faith, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10. But boy, this truth that is 2,800 years old, doesn't it speak so relevantly to our world and our culture today? Paul, quoting the psalmist, says in Romans 3, verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. Brothers and sisters, that's the Bible. That's, that's not me interpreting anything. That's just clearly what the Bible says in both Old and New Testaments. And it speaks to the whole human race, not just the world, not just the folks outside sleeping in today that didn't bother to get up and come worship God. No, brothers and sisters, that passage speaks to the pews as well. 
As far as who we are, our minds, what we've done, what we've said, the way we live our lives, we're not righteous. None of us are. And of course we know that to be true. And that's a problem. It's a problem. Because the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we got a problem. Humanity has got a deep, serious problem with sin. Sin is killing us. It's killing us physically. More importantly, it's killing us spiritually. In fact, those who are outside of covenant relationship with Christ today are already dead, even while they live and they don't even know it. Jesus, our Lord, I've... I've constructed that slide differently because I just want you to see who that's a, a quote from. Jesus at the end of his Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 25 in which he talks about Judgment Day, he says these, that is the, the, uh, the unrighteous, will go away into eternal punishment. Now we, we just saw from Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous, no not one, that we are all judged by God to be unrighteous. Our nature is fallen. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have. But the Bible says that the unrighteous will go away into eternal punishment. Only the righteous will go into eternal life on judgment day. And, and again, that just shines the spotlight on the central predicament of humanity and of our world. This is the reality of our world. Satan has blinded so many people's eyes to the light of the truth. Romans 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The New Century Version says the payment for sin is death. The Contemporary English Bible says the payoff of sin is death. As human beings, everything we do, if you analyze it psychologically, everything we, we say and do in life, we do because of a perceived payoff. We're looking for something. We're trying to get something. We're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to share something. We're trying to receive something. All of our interactions in life and our efforts in life are based upon the hope of a payoff. Well, the Bible tells, I mean, why do people sin? Let, let's just get this real down and say, why do people sin? People sin because of the perceived payoff. If I take this that isn't mine and nobody finds out, I get advanced in life the easy way. I'll save myself time and effort. Why? It's a payoff. And so I'll steal that. That's why people sin. Why will I get on my electronic device, type in these profane words, and look for this stuff when I ought to be singing, be careful little eyes what you see? Because of the perceived payoff of a moment of free pleasure. But it's not free. It's never free. And that's the problem. You've entered into Satan's kingdom. You don't make the rules there. He does. His rule is you die. And would you partake of his pleasure if you die? And that's his aim. That's the result. And my friends, that is what it means to be lost. That's what it means.
when we talk about the lost, we're talking about all of the people that we love near and far in our world that are living in sin outside of covenant relationship with Jesus. And many of them do not even know that they have imbibed the poison and the only solution is Christ. The only antidote is his blood. But brothers and sisters, this is the good news. Maybe one of the happiest passages in the whole Bible. Luke 19, verse 10, and again, you can see who said it. Jesus, he revealed his own purpose for leaving heaven and coming to earth. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who said that about the Son of Man? The Son of Man said that about the Son of Man. Jesus said, this is why I'm here. I've come to seek and save the lost. That is the purpose for which God the Father sent his beloved Son to this earth to live and to die. And so that passage, Romans 6 verse 23, does say the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. The payoff of sin is death. But that's not the end of the passage because the very next half of the verse says, but the free gift of God. Pause for a moment and soak it in. But the free gift of God. But God gives us the free gift of. But God's gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28, speaking to the crowds that were around him, they were like sheep without a shepherd, like the Ninevites of Jonah's day that spiritually speaking didn't know their right hand from their left. Jesus had compassion on them. It was a mixed lot. There were folks who weren't really listening that were following the crowd. There were folks that were really interested that didn't understand. There was Jesus' inner circle that was being taught directly by him, his disciples, and at the core of that was the 12, that Jesus was training to continue his mission after his ascension to heaven to establish the church and continue preaching the gospel. It was to all of these people, this mixed crowd, even those among the Pharisees and Sadducees who were following with the one purpose of trying to trap him and kill him. Jesus says these words, come to me. He says, come to me. And our job as the body of Christ in this world is to share that message. Our job is here from the pulpit and from our lecterns and in every way that we communicate together as a family of God's people. And our job as we go out into the world to school, to work, in our extended family lives, in our neighborhoods, on our streets and cul-de-sacs and trailer parks and apartment complexes, where it is that we live, it is our job to stand in the place of Jesus, to be the body of Christ, his hands, his feet, and his mouthpiece, and to share his call. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus says, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, there is a responsibility that comes with following Jesus. 
And yes, it is work. And yes, it is sacrifice. It is ultimate sacrifice. And it is not always easy. And I won't be doing you any favors if I tell you that it's easy to be a Christian because it is not easy to be a Christian. And when I'm telling the truth from the Bible, I'm not calling you to the easy life. I'm not calling you to the world's life of pleasure and of pride. I'm not calling you to Isaiah 59. I'm calling you to the life that is heavenly. The highest standard of all. It is the straight and narrow way. And the difficult gate. But through it is life. And the other way is broad and easy. Because the whole world is going that way. The gate is wide open, but it leads to death and hell. And so, brothers and sisters, even if being a follower of Jesus requires self-sacrifice, I believe that the difficulty is far inferior to the difficulty of the sinful life in the long run. Not only does it lead to hell, huh, pleasures of sin are passing. You all know it. You've all had people that you've known in life who have given themselves to sin. And you've seen the way that it's destroyed their flesh, destroyed their minds, destroyed them, just destroyed them. Because that's what sin does. So you can talk about the things as Christians we can't do. You can talk about the things as Christians we have to do. You can chafe if you feel like you've got to under what you perceive as the heavy hand of God. But at the end of the day, living the life of resisting sin by following Jesus, it's the better path. It's the only real path. It's the right way. And besides, you don't have to do it yourself. Jesus will be with you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. What will you find? And you will, you will find, you will find rest for your souls. Here's the promise of the one who died for your sins. For my yoke is easy. It's easy compared to the end game of sin. And my burden is light compared to the unliftable burden that sin will lay on your back if you give it the chance. This is the call of the Son of God. Following Jesus is what it means to be saved, which, my beloved brothers and sisters, in the end, it's just another way to say sinless. I hope that you'll be able to be with us in this series as we continue to unfold it. But what you've learned today in, in hopefully an extremely simple format is the reality of what sin is. Sin is anything that violates the nature and will or the commandments of God. That's what sin is. We, we learn about these things from the Bible. And not only do we learn about sin from the Bible, but we learn about salvation from the Bible. We learn the gospel of Jesus Christ and how He has said to all sinners in this world, all who would be saved, all who would be delivered from the consequence of death, there is a free gift awaiting you that, that comes through your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're willing to confess your faith in Him, that you trust that He died for your sins, 
and that you can be delivered from their consequences through his death and resurrection. Then, by making the decision to become his disciple, to turn from living in a sinful way and, and, and making that commitment that you're going to strive against sin for the rest of your days, if you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you'll be united with the death of Christ, buried with him, raised to walk in newness of life. Acts 22 and verse 16 says, your sins will be washed away. If you are someone who understands right from wrong, and you realize that somewhere in Isaiah 59 is you, and you haven't yet named the name of Christ and put him on in baptism, today is the day of salvation, tomorrow may be too late. And today, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open, why don't you come? It's together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.